And welcome to another episode of G220 Radio. That's Mike. I'm Ricky. And we are here to talk about Calvinism again. It seems like we talk about Calvinism all the time. Uh, no, we don't really talk about Calvinism as much as some people may think. But to be ready, I, I made sure I posted today that I am unapologetically and confidently a 1689 reformed baptist and i got all my calvinistic reform gear on tonight no i did that because uh put yeah. a sweatshirt on to be be warm and uh my hat i just like wearing hats but uh no seriously um we are gonna have this conversation i think last time we had this conversation as i said before the show to our guest it was back in november which again it seems like it was just recently but uh it was a while ago and so mike Tell me what you're thinking, man. We're going to get into this Calvinism is bad part two. Well, I put on my beard to make sure it's all nice and ready. You know, it can't be a good Calvinist without a beard. And obviously joking. No, it's it's always an important discussion. I think last time we discussed it, um, I might have mentioned there. I mean, this is a discussion that's been going around for 1600 years. So we're not going to solve it tonight, but our goal is to find the truth, to discuss the truth, and to present the Bible in its full truthfulness and to discover what that is. And even in debates like this, this sharpens and makes everyone better and hoping that we you know, get to the truth and get to the bottom of the truth. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to go ahead and bring on our guest. He is Drew Yanucci. Uh, and uh, we had him on before. Again, like I said, although after the show, Mike kind of brought it to my um, thinking that he's like, you know, the topic was why Calvinism is bad. And we really never got to let Andrew explain why Calvinism was bad. In we his, buried the lead. In his, yeah, we buried the lead on the show, but it wasn't intentional. It was our first interaction. And so I was trying to get to know where Andrew or Drew was coming from. And he was, you know, talking and, and, and relaying things back to us. So it was kind of a feeler show. Uh, so this time we definitely want to give Drew the, the opportunity to explain why he believes Calvinism is bad and then look at some scriptures. So Drew, we do want to thank you again for coming back on the program. Yeah. Thanks for having me back on. Um, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to put more of a positive, uh, you know, uh, effort on why I think it's bad. Um, <clears throat> didn't really get to that last time. We did touch on a few things, but really never touched on the topic of why I thought it was bad. You know, what more like why I disagreed with some of the elements of it, but never really uh, why I think it's bad. So. Yeah. So that's what we want to do here tonight is give you that opportunity. Uh, we actually, um, everybody knows we are Reformed Baptists here, uh, like I said, unapologetically and confident in it but uh we do want to hear your side uh of why you believe calvinism is bad so what we're going to go ahead and open it up andrew if you could just quickly give us a recap of a little bit of, of who you are to the audience if maybe they didn't tune in for the first show uh and then we'll go ahead and let um you explain take some time to explain why calvinism is bad and then we'll get into those scriptures that you sent to us Oof, that's a lot. Um, <laughs> just don't um, take the whole hour recapping who you are. Yeah, no, just, I mean, there's, you know, I'm just, uh, <laughs> I'm just a regular guy. I love the Lord. I love studying this stuff. I love to talk about it. And um, like Mike said, you know, like iron sharpens iron, you know, try to 
always dig deeper to find out what is true, uh, what the Bible's telling us, what God's relaying to us, and um, just always searching for that. You know, um, I don't ever, I don't like to just like sort of be like, well, I, I know what I know now, and I'm good with that, and I don't I don't feel like I need to learn anything else. You know, like this is my view. I'm sticking to it. You know, I'm like, if you can show me somewhere in the Bible that something that I believe to be true or that I've been telling people is true is not true. I want to hear it, show it to me. I'll read it, think about it. And then, you know, I'll change my mind if I have to, you know, um, I've done it on several different things um, over the course of the last five or six years. Um, so yeah, I'm just uh, looking to do that here again tonight. So. And Calvinism being one of those things, or did you come to that yeah. before? Oh yeah. So um, yeah, when, when I was, when I, when I came uh, and gave my life back to God, I didn't know anything about Calvinism, never heard of it. Um, but as I was studying um, and learning, I kind of went, went from one preacher to another, a lot of like um, seeker sensitive kind of stuff that really wasn't giving me any meat or, or, or filling me with anything, you know, and I just, I learned what I learned from them and then realized there wasn't a lot behind it. So I kept on searching and searching and um, it kind of led me into Cal, uh, it led me into the reform guy, a lot of the reform guys and like the R.C. Sprouls. And uh, um, I listened to a lot of John MacArthur and Bodie Balcom. And um, I started like it was so much deeper than what I had been getting from, like, say, Stephen Furtick or some of these other guys like that, where they're not really giving you that. They're not giving you a lot of exegesis. You know, it's just a lot of eisegesis. And like after I learned what those things were. And so. After I got into those other the deeper things, I thought, wow, like, these guys really know their stuff. So I'm just I'm taking all that in. And they were all Calvinists, you know, and then that's when I started to learn about Calvinism. And I'm like, wow, you know, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. But the way they're explaining it and showing it to me, I'm like, it has to be true because these guys know way more about the Bible than, than I do. So, of course, it's true. You know, and I sort of just took it um, as the truth because they knew more than I did. And it wasn't until I started, um, I, I actually got out of dispensationalism by questioning some of the stuff that I had been taught. So once I got, once I realized that I'd been taught some false things about that, that was when I started to sort of test the other things that I was learning. So I just decided to, you know, uh, test it all, but it was through debates. It was a debate with uh, Doug Wilson and Steve Gregg that about Calvinism that I really started to question Calvinism and and then the thing that really led me I think that really that really led me to dig deep on the Calvinism thing was was I, I wanted to tell somebody about I wanted to tell somebody about the gospel and I thought what well, would be a good way to do this you know and say something but I'm like well how do I explain this because um, what if they're not chosen you know like how do I well, I got to find the right way now so it sort of led me into trying to understand how to explain how you're chosen or not, you know, because, you, you, you know, Calvinists believe there's an elect and there's a non-elect. And that's that's from before the foundation of the world. Right. I mean, would you guys agree that the, the elect is predestined before the foundation of the of the world? Yes. Yes. OK. So that was like my yeah. sort of dilemma, because yeah. I'm like, well, how do I say, well, God loves you, but you might not be elect. So I'm like. It sort of presented a problem for me as I'm trying to tell somebody about the gospel. 
So I was like, well, I just want to, you know, that was when I, so I, I started watching debates and stuff. And I came away from the debates thinking that there was more to the, to the other side of what, not, not necessarily Arminianism um, or anything like that, but that a lot of the things that the Calvinists were saying didn't seem to, to add up. They always had to kind of go back to the same few verse, same few verses to say what the doctrine said. Whereas it, the other guys seemed to be able to pluck verses out of everywhere and explain the verses that they were using in a different way. So once you could, the hard verses, the good ones for Calvinism can be explained differently, but the, all the other verses seem to can't be explained any other way than that the way they're presented. So that was what sort of made me really like finally after, I mean, I would say it took a good year at least before I was just like, you know what? I just can't, I just can't take these doctrines for, for what they they're saying they are anymore, you know? So that was how I came out of Calvinism. And it was a lot of debates. I mean, it was a lot of different debates between different Calvinists on, uh, you know, there's varying degrees of Calvinism. Um, so, you know, I tried to listen to as many as I could and as many different varying viewpoints of Calvinism. And that's how I got out of believing it was true. And if you want to ask another question or something, but I'll just, I'll leave it there. No, I, I think that's good. I think it's a good, um, <clears throat> introduction or, um, laying out how you came out of where you once believed yourself to be and why you came out of that um, position. Uh, as far as like the evangelism aspect of it, I mean, we could probably talk about that for a long time as well. I won't go into it to answer some of those, those, those uh, things that come to my mind that I want to just like, oh yeah, let me explain this. But uh, we won't, won't do that because I want to make sure we give you the time to explain what about Calvinism is bad and then get into these scriptures. Cause that is the most important part is breaking down these scriptures to um, <clears throat> understand them properly in their context. Yeah. And so, and the other part was, and I touched on this last time was when I had I'd asked somebody, a friend of mine who, and I, I asked them about Calvinism. They're like, no, I don't believe any of those points. And I just kind of, at that point, I assumed that most of the people who were, you know, Christians who studied the Bible were automatically Calvinists, you know what I mean? That was that was another part of like questioning it because there was somebody who I trusted and, and knew to be a Christian and, and a, a believer, you know, into the word. And then they're like, no, I don't believe any of those. I actually believe mostly the opposite. So that was also part of it. But um, yeah, as far as the scriptures, like as to why I think it's bad, I put, I made like five little points. I didn't want to, I didn't want to write a bunch of stuff down and just sit here and reading it. So I really didn't write much down. So, but I did want to give myself a kind of a loose outline. Um, and I did so got five points against five, Calvinism, not five the Arminian five points. I hope. No, 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 but there are five points as to why I, I look at it as being bad for, uh, many reasons, but for Christianity as a whole, um, one, um, well, five, I'll start in five on uh, the opposite, least important. Maybe. Well, not least. No, there are, I got you. Yeah, I they, could in, they could be in any yeah. order. It doesn't matter. I understand. Yeah. Um, five, um, I think it lacks biblical support. I mean, that's, that would be one of the more important ones because, um, there's, there's so many verses that are proof texts that, uh, Calvinists like to use, um, and then beyond that, it seems to me the, the bulk of the scriptures say the exact opposite. 
of most of the five points. Um, that's five. Uh, so lack for me, it lacks biblical support. Uh, four, it limits God's sovereignty. Okay. Um, let me explain what I mean real quick. <clears throat> um, in Calvinism, either you're uh, you're a determinist, deterministic, or uh, what do you say, um, divine determinism or compatibilistic determinism. Um, either way it goes, you're there's determinism involved, and um, I think God's less so sovereign in a deterministic world than He is in a world where He creates us with the ability to make these choices and still bring about his plans and purposes at the end so instead of having to control all the pieces at all times he can do what he wants where he wants to and will to bring about the same purpose so he's allowing us he created a world for us to have these choices and make this um to have the ability to choose and reject his provision for us and still still be able to bring about his purposes and the things that he's prophesied and so forth, like, you know, um, Jesus coming. And there's, I mean, there's so many prophecies in the Bible. Well, how does God bring those about, you know? Well, he's so powerful and sovereign that he can do that without uh, controlling our choices and our decreeing our, our, our will and stuff like that. Um, number three, I think it, it absolves man of his responsibility for responding to uh, what Christ did for us when Christ died for us when he paid the penalty for our sins that makes us more responsible more responsible um because he already paid the penalty the sin he paid the debt for us so we but when you say in any way shape or form if he's determined for you to do things well you have no other there's nothing else for you to do but what he's already decreed and determined for you to do so technically, by that standard, you have been absolved of responsibility. Um, two, it makes God a liar because he commands us and tells us certain things to do and what we can or can't do. And if the things that he's, uh, some of the scriptures that he, he, he gives us, it seems like that's not actually true if you hold to the Calvinistic system. It actually becomes impossible to be true. Um, and then we can touch on some of those. I have scriptures for most of these. Like some of them are uh, the ones more philosophical, but the other ones I have scriptures we can talk about. And then um, the one, to me, this one is also kind of tied for most important with the biblical support is that I think it minimizes God's love and, and, God's love for us and that God is love by creating a world where God has arbitrarily chosen who would and wouldn't believe. Um, I think that limits God's love for us. It's not Christ died for all of us. It says he paid the ransom for all. Um, and I think that it, it limits God's love when we don't, look when we look at it like god's choosing these people but not these people um so those are my five loose points as to why i think it's bad okay re real quickly um just so because i i did miss three as far as writing it down but you said uh lacks biblical support was one of them mm -hmm. limits god's sovereignty 
Correct. Three, I didn't get the the title um, of, of absolves man of his responsibility. Okay, so absolves man of his responsibility, makes God a liar, and minimizes God's love for us. That's correct. Correct. All right, Mike. Any um, thoughts you want to say about you know any of that before we get into some of these scriptures? I mean, it's not the first time I've heard those objections against Calvinism. So obviously this has been discussed before in literature um, beforehand. Um, so this isn't... I thought I was reinventing again. the wheel over here, man. I, I'm sorry to burst your bubble about I, that. Yeah, I mean... Um, but I think there are, at that point, there are a serious considerations. Because you're, <clears throat> I mean, to say that God is a liar would to say that we worship a false god. Or we worship God wrongly, and therefore we—it implies that while we may still make it by the skin of our teeth, as Paul would say, um, that we don't believe God rightly. So obviously, these have to be discussed, encountered, and and looked at, and um, passages exegeted and applied, and to think all think through these issues carefully. Yeah. And yeah. before we get into some some of those those passages, I just want to ask again for clarification. We did talk about it back in November, but you don't deny original sin, correct? Isn't that what we kind of talked about just, last time? I, I don't want to get into like I'm not I'm not I don't want to draw it out. Like, we are universally sinful. Like we are unable as a human race to not sin. Uh, so sin, we have a sin nature like there okay, it's inevitable nature. we all fall short of the glory of god you know all right so we, we have a sin nature and open theism you believe god knows all things or god I'm not, doesn't I'm know not an open theist, no. okay so not an open theist okay no. all right just just reiterating trying sure. to make sure we're clear on those not an open theist. Okay, so um, go ahead, man. We'll we'll open it up to you to throw out one of those texts that you sent over to us, and uh, we could talk about All right. it. All right. Um, well, let me see. I had um, I should have. Where is that at? <clears throat> I have it out here, but sometimes you know. I can tell you which about... one I think is your strongest. Yeah, no, go ahead. but no, go ahead. I'll, I'll leave it for you. I want, actually, I'll, I'll I was going to ask you. you guys. I was going to ask you guys if the verses that I sent you or the text that I sent you, which one of those texts do you guys do you contend with any of them? Are any of those texts where you sit there and go, "Gosh, that does make me think, question a little bit, a lot a bit about some of the things that maybe you believe." In honesty, no. Uh, I think Mike would say the same thing. Yeah. Um, but the only one that I thought was, okay, I can see why um, Drew and others may utilize this text as a possibility of seeing something. There was the one in 2 Corinthians uh, 5, 14, and 15, where it says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died, and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them uh, and was raised again. And so I, I can see where with the language of died for all, um, therefore all died and he died for all, being a 
reason why someone would would say, oh, I don't see how this Calvinism can be true because the Bible's because Calvinists say Jesus only died for the elect, didn't die for all. But this scripture seems to be contradicting that. And so that was one that I think we have answers for. Uh, I, I believe we have the answers for, but is the one that I thought, OK, I can I can understand this here, why this would be one of those that that one would use to try to uh, refute or uh, disagree with uh, Reformed theology or Calvinism. Yeah, I mean, no, that's a great I think it's a great text. And I mean, it says he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them. And oh, before that, it says um compels us because we are convinced that once that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all that those who live should no longer should no longer live for themselves mm -hmm. uh, not will but should um actually to be um to be honest i think the text uh, john 20 uh 30 through 31 i think that text um as a commentary from john on his own gospel so here's here's John commentating. He did. I noticed. I was listening to John today, and I noticed he does this. He said John like, twenty what? 30, 30, 31. Yeah. So it seems like John, more than the other gospel writers, he he put, puts commentary in while he's telling you the story. Then he adds commentary. He did this because of this, this, or this. You know what I mean? And he, I saw that a lot when I was listening. And here he's giving a commentary, and it says. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which were not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. I mean, that's pretty clear that the book, the gospel was written so that you may believe and that by believing you may have life. There's the order, salutis, by believing you may have life. You're not... Uh, in nowhere in the Bible does it ever, ever, there's not one scripture that ever says the order uh, is the opposite, where you are given, received life as to believe. So I think that was one of the things that really did convince me, too, is that when I saw that every single time it showed the order, it was in the other order. It was by believing you may have life. So why? I guess the question for you is why would John, on commentary on his own book, Say that he wrote this so that you may believe and that by believing you may have life if that wasn't true yeah it's a good question um we know man is justified by faith right faith is belief um and it's not it's not faith that saves it's the object of one's faith that saves so the object mm -hmm. of the faith being christ so man is justified by his belief or by his faith in christ we would agree with that we don't we don't disregard this passage here but how is it that one is justified? Paul tells us that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to those who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Paul also tells us that faith comes by hearing. So if John is writing and saying, look, I'm writing these so that you may believe in Jesus Christ, it is because it is the gospel being the power of God, the, the word of God never returning void, accomplishing what Christ has intended for it to accomplish in bringing many sons to glory. And so that's what I would say. Um, you may have other questions, but Mike, before before you have any other questions, hold on to them. Don't forget them. Uh, I'm sure you got them right at the tip of your tongue. But go ahead, Mike. Any, any other thoughts you would add to that? And then we'll let uh, Andrew 
um, explain where he disagrees or sees that. So, yeah, I guess I would. I guess some of this comes down to how Calvinists would believe in the interaction between God's sovereign work on redemption applied to the believer and our kind of own experience in which we look at it. As you know, as our listeners know, there's a lot of calls for people to believe and to see Jesus as the son of man. I think you rightly noted here in John, John gives a lot of commentary um, on what's happening. I think a lot of it is because he's the final gospel. Most, it could be possible that he is writing based off of, or reading already reading uh, Mark and He's there explaining, you see this right away in the beginning of the book. So the true light, which ever, which gives light to everyone, this is verse nine in chapter one, has come into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But all those who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who was born, not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And so even in John, you have, when you think about even the ending and the beginning and, you know, you have those verses in uh, John 6 and other ones that are not coming to mind real quickly. John gives us this juxtaposition between God's sovereign saving hand and what is man's responsibility and believing the truths that they've seen. And you kind of see these themes repeated throughout, throughout. And I don't think as a Calvinist, I, you know, I, I don't obviously don't disagree with what John is saying. John is writing the book so that people do believe that they do see, but the problem is people reject him because they're sinful because they like the darkness rather than the light. And I would have to say, while John is writing this and compelling and earnest, just like what we do in evangelism, that John here is saying, hey, I wrote these things so you can believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And because it's when you believe that you have eternal life. And that there is an active belief that a believer must have at starting from the point in which he confesses his sin and puts his trust in Jesus Christ that the person must have. I think the question is, and what John also talks about in is, is how does that happen? And that only happens apart from the sovereign work of God. It's not by the flesh that one is born again, but by the spirit. Right. Uh, Christ did the work for us because we couldn't do it. That And then the message, the gospel is the good news of the message that he did that. Uh, he brought He brought the kingdom to us. He's the king. He died for us. He paid the ransom. He did the work. Um, the Bible tells us to those who believe. I mean, you guys both just now said 
uh, well, especially you, Mike, you just said you believe and then have life. Um, and then the, ver the, the way that you, um, Ricky, were describing all that would be just as I would describe all that um, in what you were, were saying. I mean, that's it's all the same exact things that I would say. So it really, uh, it really, I would say it comes down to, again, the ability. I think a lot of times where those who don't agree with Calvinism, they'll say, well, there's plenty of scriptures that tell people to believe. I mean, and, and Mike went to John 1, um, which is probably somewhere I would have went tonight as well, where it says he went to his own and his own did not receive him, but those who did receive him, he gave the right to become the children of God in verse 12. And so they believed, they received him, so they're saying it's they believing um, to receive Christ, but then it says in verse 13 that this believing, this being born of God, um, being coming, becoming a son of God is not based upon their bloodline, their works, or the will of man, is what it lays out there in um, chapter 1. So when you look at a scripture, when you look at a book, and what, what we seek to do, I'm not saying we always do this perfectly, but what we seek to do as Christians is look at the scriptures in total, in, in, its, in its entirety, um, because we all can be um, guilty of trying to pick, take a proof text, one text, and say, oh, see, here's something that says believe, but then we're, we're trying to get to that underlying factor of, okay, well, how does one believe? And John's laying it out there in that first chapter saying that becoming a, a child of God, becoming a son of God, um, the right to become a son is not by your blood, not by your works, not by your will. It's I think from that, God, God being that active force. I think that that is where the disconnect happens because it is by the God. But you guys can, I think the Calvinist conflates the ability there with what the work that God did there. So the will of God is that all the will of God is that all men come to the saving knowledge of the truth, right? That is the will of God. And God provided the way the gospel is the means the the message faith comes by hearing he tells us that so that is the will of god that all men do that that's not but you're inserting the ability uh god with the there in the will part so you're like well it's it comes by the will of god in other words you're putting the ability in where uh it, it's, it's not the ability there well well let me let me ask you this drew um that so you're going to John 20, close to the, the end of the chapter, of this part where it's saying that John wrote these things that people would believe in Jesus. And we go back to the very beginning of the book to get this context of him laying it out, starting with this fact that Jesus is God, John 1.1, he's a light that comes into the world. He talks a little bit about John the Baptist being this forerunner of Christ. And then he goes into the fact that Christ came to his own, his own people, and they don't receive him, That's and then true. lays it out there and says they don't do so based upon their bloodline, being born a child of Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. It's not being an Israelite that saves you. It's not based upon the flesh, which means it's not based upon man's works, trying to earn it, and then says it's not based upon the will of the man. So if it's not based upon the will of the man, how does man have the ability to come to God? When you look at other passages in scriptures, it says that the natural man cannot discern spiritual things. So it's folly, it's foolishness to him. He can't discern it. The spirit begets spirit, the flesh begets flesh, 
And so how then does one go from spirit or flesh to spirit if the flesh only begets flesh? What is that? What is then, where is man's ability in that? Well, if God's not the active force, which he, I say that he's always the one that's active in the salvation God, of man. That is the active one, but there, there are no, in no place does it say that man does not have the ability to respond to the gospel. John 1 13 is what we just said. It, it, that, they don't not, have, that's not what that it says. It's not based upon their, what does it mean then to say it's not based on the bloodline, it's not based on your works, and it's not based on your own will? It's based on the will of God, and, and it's the will of God that men come to him through faith. Look at look at all the, the whole thing is based upon faith. He, the whole thing is this juxtaposition between the Pharisees who were doing it based on the fact that they thought it was because of what they were doing in their bloodline. And, he's, and, and it's the same thing Paul is telling them. It's always this dichotomy between they think it's because of who they are and what they do. It's not. It's based on faith. That's why he says, when I give, when I send the message to the Gentiles, they believe. Why? Because they're not putting their trust into the law and their bloodline. They're putting it in faith. Which, by putting it in faith, it means they're putting their trust in Christ. We have to put our trust in Christ. That's what he's telling them over and that's what it's telling them in John. Um, why they're. In John 6, when he's talking about, um, people always go, well, nobody can come to the Father unless he draws. But later in John, uh, what, it's like John 10 or 12, he says, when I'm raised up, I'm going to draw all people unto myself. Right? There's a, um, a contradiction if you think he's saying, well, he only draws certain people. But then here he's saying he draws all people. Well, but then it's also, a lot of times, sorry, though, the whole thing, the whole point is always, it's not based on, the law, it's not based on what you do. It's not based on how good or religious you are or your bloodline. It's based on faith. And that's what Hebrews is is big on talking about faith. Paul's big on talking about faith and all these different. Um, and it's, it's always uh, based on faith. And faith comes by hearing. The gospel is the means. That's the means for, to get the message out there. And then if we're unable to respond without the regenerative work, this would show up somewhere in, in any of these scriptures, but it doesn't. The fact is, is it, it, there is no scripture you can point me to that says God has to regenerate you unto faith because it doesn't exist. So to have a whole doctrine based on regeneration preceding faith and not have a verse to support it is, in my mind, it's a big problem because it's not there. But I can... I can pull up, I'm not even kidding, probably a hundred that I've highlighted that talk about faith, you know, unto life. It's always faith unto, it's believing unto life. And it's always in Christ. It's not like, here's the other thing, though, as I think is a misconception, is that God doesn't, we're not merited grace because we have faith. He, he gives us grace because he loves us. It's like, I, I look at the story of the prodigal son as a perfect example the, the parable of the prodigal son is a perfect example of all of this. It's all wrapped up into one just completely beautiful illustration of how it works. And the father didn't have to welcome his son back, but he ran out to him with open arms. That's God's love coming back because the son was, it says the son was dead. This is, this is a part of the God's love that God's love for us, I think is minimized because <clears throat> it's showing us that we were dead in our sins, the son was dead. The son came back, and the father welcomed him back. 
Um, but God doesn't owe us that. That's why it's always unmerited grace. It's not like our faith is earning us that, but that is the means and the method that God chose to do it through. And that's what's detailed in scripture is that to those who had faith, what's the difference between, um, what's the difference between the, um, <clears throat> the tax collector and the Pharisee in that parable, the, the difference is faith. The one was like, Oh, thank God. I'm not like this guy over here because I'm doing all these things. God, I'm, I'm doing everything I should be doing. Uh, tithing, I'm doing all this stuff. And the other guy's like, can't even look up to God because he knows he's a sinner. And he's coming to him with faith saying, God, I need you to do this for me. That's always, that's always the dichotomy between the two, the two things in my mind. And that's yeah. how I see it everywhere. Well, Drew, I, I think much of what you just said there, me and Mike would agree and say, absolutely, it's faith. It, it's man must be believed by faith, um, faith unto life. Um, we wouldn't disagree with that. Again, we're speaking about, and I think what tends to happen is this past one another in the, and we're, we're dealing with ability here because we don't, we don't believe that man is saved apart from faith. You, you mentioned um, John 6 and God uh, drawing all men unto himself or, or um, all that the Father uh, draw or give to Christ will be raised up in the last day. And then you go to later in John where it says, Christ says, if I be lifted up, I draw all men to myself. Well, the contradiction would be on your part, because if God is saying that he will draw these men to Christ and Christ says, I will lose none of them. And then Christ says, I draw all men unto myself and all means all men. That would logically make you a universalist, which I don't believe you are. So no, I'm not. I'm not. But the, the, the difference is, is when he's talking to them there in John six, he's. Those are very specific group of people that he drew to himself for a very particular purpose. When Christ came, he had a particular purpose and his ministry. He he went about in a very particular way and did certain things and told people, don't don't tell anybody this or don't do that. Or I'm not going here at this time because it's not my time. And he 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 the drawing was for the people that he chose. He chose those people for a particular purpose. That is um, God's choice. God can do that. <clears throat> he chose the 12 disciples. He had a very small group of people with him. And he was using the, the Pharisees and the scribes of that day to bring about the purpose of the cross. So he's only drawing those people. That's who he's talking to. He's talking to the Jews. That's not, that's not a reference to all people um, and all through all time. But later, it is a reference to all people for all time. So there is no um, contradiction in, in my mind because he's talking about two But then again, I'm saying if, if he's drawing all people unto himself, then that logically leads to universalism. Real quick before, before you continue, and, and I want Mike to jump in there. Your wife must be reading Re Redemption, Accomplish, and Apply, which is a wonderful yes. book. It's a she great is. book because she has uh, laid out there a long quote um, and uh, – so uh, thank you, Catherine, for that uh, note there. Great book. We suggest it. Um, Mike, any thoughts you want to say before we, we let Andrew continue there? So I think the question I have, and this is you kind of clarified at the beginning, I think in this plays into pension, because I do think this question really hinges on um, the ability of man. So, Andrew, Drew, you mentioned that you believe that, I guess we have the, I want to try to remember your phrasing so I don't misquote you, but um, 
we're all eventually going to sin. I guess it was that kind of the best way to say you know, what you're this, Yes. Okay. So when kind of what, what does men lose with the fall? I know this deals a little bit with what we talked about in the first show, but I think, I think this is kind of where we are going to start to diverge. So what did man lose with the fall and his natural ability? We were separated from God spiritually, right? I mean, when God was with them in the garden, uh, they were removed from the garden. <clears throat> so we were spiritually unable to be with God because okay. as sinners, I mean, <clears throat> so Christ, can... Christ as a sinless sin paid the debt as a sinless proficient. He was sinless. So when we are in mm -hmm. Christ, we are, um, what's that word? Oh, geez. Blanking out. We're seen but, as righteous. Yeah. Right, I, I, I understand where you're going. Requirements of Christ, yeah. Okay. Can a sinful human with his men with mental capacity tainted with sin do anything spiritual that is worthy of honor from God? Worthy of honor from God? No. We we okay. God nope. commanded us to be um, humble and contrite and to come to him. Um, but yeah, no, we, we can. can't. The only thing that Go ahead. I would say we could do that's pleasing to God is put our faith in the work of Christ. I mean, that. So we do have the ability to do something that is honoring to God in our sinful estate. <clears throat> um, no, nothing that can make us in bring us to a right relationship with God. Christ did that for oh. us. But do, can we do okay. things that are pleasing so to God? Yes. So if Christ... Not everything we do is unpleasing to God. What do you... I mean, I mean if you're... I mean, say, I'm, say I'm an unregenerate person, I don't believe in God, yet I really love to feed the homeless people because I, I know how much they need it and I just have a love for the homeless people. Would that be pleasing or unpleasing to God? I would say it'd be unpleasing to God. Unpleasing, because it's because it's the not Bible done to says God's everything glory. Everything that's not done in faith is sin. Yeah, that's that's what the Bible says. Everything that's done as everything done that's not done in faith to God is unpleasing to God. It's sin, and 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 the that's what the scriptures say. And then the reality is that when someone does good, does according to worldly standards, or does something. They are testifying to the God who's created them and gave them these communicable attributes to love and to, you know, uh, display mercy upon someone and, and whatnot. And so they're actually testifying against themselves in their rebellion against God. I, I mean, that's I don't want to get too too much into that, but it just that's where I mean, it kind of when, when somebody I... does something like when we talked about we did a show before on Trump, Trump did things that were good according to a worldly standard as far as policies and certain things, but it wasn't for God's glory. He wasn't a Christian. He was doing it for his own glory. So within man, everyone has, um, that is apart from God may do what appears to be good in the world, but their motives, the motives of their heart are not pleasing to God because again, it's not done in faith. There's, there's a motive in there. Maybe other, they don't even recognize it themselves, but it's not, it's not for the glory of God. And if it's not for the glory of God, it cannot please God. 
Because again, everything done apart from faith is sin, according to God. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I'm not God, so I don't really know what would or wouldn't please um, God outside of being in Christ. I mean, obviously, I don't think that. <clears throat> I don't think that we really can say whether or not doing good things for other people out of a, a, just a good place. Uh, because you you generally care for people um, would be unpleasing but, to God, but I would say it's um, it would be better to do it for the glory of God. But I don't think doing the right thing, being just, is unpleasing to God. God's a just God, so when you serve justice, even if it's not in the name of Christ, justice is still justice. It's not. I don't see how justice is unpleasing to God, I guess, is what I'm saying. I don't know. But it's more truly, than just the action, though. It's the the heart of the person. But I guess I would say a little off track because, to me, you guys uh, can't really show me anything that says man is unable to respond. Well, we went to John th John 1, and we where I showed you how that doesn't does. say that. But you That's didn't. So can you, okay, show me where that doesn't say that man is able by their own free will to choose God to believe. Where does it say that there? Because it says the opposite. It says not by, your blood, not by your flesh, and it's not Yet by to all who did receive him. To those who believed in his name, he gave right. the right to become children of God. And then verse thirteen, which explains how they received him, how they believed. You're not born of natural descent nor of human, but of born of God. Yes, born of, of God, God by putting their faith. That's not what it says. Christ. That's exactly what it says. It's not what it says. It says that it was not by these things. The right. Yeah, but it was not by those things. Because they believed. It doesn't say that God made them believe. It says it, they believed. It says they couldn't do it on their own free will or by their works or by their bloodline. They cannot become a child of God based upon those things. That's what it says there. John 1.13 and one one twelve, it says again. But to all who did receive him, I mean, who that, believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born. How were they born? Say, I don't see that. I don't think that says that I, there. I'm I'm trying to help you. It says but who were say born. The only verse. This is the well. Only no, it's not the only one that, that says it because, like I said, there's hundreds that say the opposite. Well, it it well, doesn't. I would stick with the ones that say but it the says. Opposite. Well, we can we can talk about some of those, but it says. Who were born. So it says he gave the right to become children of God. What is a child of God? One who is born. We talk about being born again. Born again is regeneration. That's what it means. He's equal 36. But it says who were born. He gave them the right. Not of blood. The not of blood. Him, he gave the right. But he's explaining to him how they were born of God. Not of blood, nor the will of man, nor the will or nor the flesh. Which is born again of the spirit. When they believe of the spirit, what happens. yes, the spirit, the spirit begets That's spirit. What Peter says in Acts to, to <clears> repent, <throat> be baptized, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. It's the same thing. It's the same thing over and over again. You're putting something in here that does isn't here. I'm just reading it. It says they were not born based upon bloodline, based upon the flesh, which is the works, and based upon the will of man. That's what it says. It's it's laying it out. John's saying, look, they, those You're who receive become children of God, but it was saying, not based oh, upon these child, things. I'm a children of God. I'm a, you're not going, oh, I'm a child of God now. God's doing it. Exactly. Amen. Right. Because they believed. You see? 
but it wasn't based saying, upon. They're, they're not. They're not giving themselves this. It's not their own decision to just be like, "Oh, I'm born again." Now. Right. It's right. It's not their own decision. No. It's, it's their it's decision God. to believe, though. <laughs> it just says you're ignoring the part where it says. But, here's the question, believe, though. That's the part you're ignoring. So, so, see, this is where the sticking point is, okay? Because what you're saying. Yeah, what what you're saying and what I was trying to lay out is that you are that man is not total depraved and that they can on their own terms believe and then receive faith. Now, what we would say is well man cannot on their own terms believe. Something has to change. Okay. They are and it they also have it, no. Ability. Let's look at Cornelius. That's why I sent you the, the text about Cornelius. Right, but 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 quickly though, because what Mike is saying there, it, it also seems like you agree with that. That it's not like, God sends the means. Okay, God has provided the Holy Spirit, the, the Bible, the Gospel, um, okay. the apostles. He sent. He's given us the got the the means. Okay. So okay, be, here's a quick question. Here's a quick question, maybe for clarification then. So that I can I can understand. So if God's sending the means, then it's dependent upon man, right? No, because Christ already it is finished. He finished the work. It's not dependent upon man, but it but is for dependent the belief on you to respond. So it's dependent upon the man. It's not dependent upon man. God did the work. You just because you. So how is it? Calvinists like to do is say, well, if if man. Uh, if it's up to man to, to choose, then it's uh, then man's the one making the final decision, and therefore it's up to man. No, it's not. It's up to God. God provides the grace and the okay. means. We let have me, to let respond. Me, Drew, let me ask this for, for clarification then. What's the difference between you and me if if you if God's provided the means and you and I are hanging out, we're we're out, you know, just enjoying the day, going to a game, Cleveland Browns game or You're something. Going to a revival. Yeah, go no, not going to a revival. <laughs> But uh, say we, we was at a Browns game and we're mm -hmm. coming home and some guys out there preaching the gospel um, and and you believe you hear this gospel. The means has been provided. You believe. And I say, yeah, I don't believe that. What's the difference between you and me? There is no difference. I had faith and you didn't. But what? So there's really. No, so the deciding factor is man. No, it's, it, that's what the Bible says. It's to those who believe and to those who don't. So yes, there is a there is a part of the way God designed this that man has a choice, which is why we are held responsible when we make the wrong choice. How are we responsible? How if we're not able to respond, then why are we responsible? I mean, that's in the word. The logic says if we are held responsible, it's because you are able to respond. That's it. God did the work. He provided the means. He died for us. We owe it to him to give him our lives. The reason I, I the gospel to me is that God paid for my sins. He paid for everyone's sins. Okay. And I don't want to. I don't want to follow Christ because I don't want to go to hell. Now, maybe when I first sort of believed, and it was, I was always in my mind, like, well, I don't want to go to hell. But um, as the more I studied, the more I understood that 
I want to give him my life because he already gave me, he paid for my life. We owe it to him. He paid for us. Um, the, the verse, the verse that talks about that, that I, I really like is from second Peter or first, first Peter two. Um, you got that one there. I have it here somewhere. I have a second Peter two, one and two. Second, second Peter two, one and two. Yeah. Okay. Can, can you read that? <clears throat> yeah. Um, it says, uh, but false prophets are those uh, arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, who bought them, bringing up, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sens uh, sensation, sensuality, excuse me. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. So here there's, but there are also false prophets among the people. Just as there will be false teachers among you, <clears throat> they will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. Does that sound like he only bought a certain group of people or did he buy those people who are bringing in destructive heresies and the false teachers? Go ahead, Mike. I'm looking up something. <laughs> of course you are. No, I, um, I, I, I am. I'm looking in Jude because but go, go ahead. This verse to me is undeniable and there's no way to get around this. Um, you could redirect to a different verse, but this verse says that he bought the false teachers who brought in the destructive heresies because they denied the sovereign Lord who bought them. So I guess my first question, thinking through that, if you're going to go with that, <laughs> is if they so are you saying they that these people these heretics have faith no they don't these are they don't these have are faith. unregenerative people who deny the sovereign lord who bought them okay let me uh, think it's a big problem for so, calvinists to i be did honest. not look at this one I mean, sorry, I should have been more prepared than I was. I didn't quite get this far. Um, you know, it's second, uh, one of the first or second Timothy, it says, you know, he paid a ransom for all. Um, yeah, but again, if, if he ransomed all, if, if the debt was canceled for all, then the debt's canceled for all. That it, just it, goes to universalism. He paid for them all. It doesn't if, mean... If, if I paid your house payment or your, your debt off, it's canceled. It's not like somebody's going to come back. They it doesn't matter if... It wouldn't gift. matter, Drew, if you accepted it. If I paid off your house payment or paid matter. off a debt... No, it doesn't. If you it had does, a debt and I paid debt. it off, if you it's had a debt, a million-dollar debt, and somebody came yeah. along and paid that million-dollar debt off... It doesn't matter if you receive it or not. That debt is canceled. You can't. So if you, you say he's the ransom for that, because here's why well, you can't compare the two. Again, because, but that's what I'm saying. You have, the, put on, you have to put on the garments, okay? Just like in the in the, the parable, <clears throat> the one without the right garments was thrown into the outer darkness. That's the garments of Christ. That's the righteousness of Christ. You have to put on the garment, okay? But that's and that all want, comes back to again the this, ability of man. Man can't do that Christ, upon his own. Yes, he can, because he's telling you to. He commands all people everywhere to repent. God is not a liar. 
So if okay, he tells the woman at the well to wait, go wait, and wait. sin no more. Drew, do you sin? Do you sin? Because he's God not, says, if you love me, keep my commandments. No but all, but he says, so there's commands that God gives in the Old Testament. He gives okay, the Ten Commandments. He gives 613 laws. Can't they can't these commands. He commands I'm saying, I'm saying God gives commands. God gives statements to people that they cannot all keep it apart from God. That's making God a liar because he commands no, all people. It's in the context. Repent. What you said, First Timothy, First Timothy. Are you talking about Acts, Acts? Is when he says God commands all people now everywhere to repent. Okay. Yes. He, yes. If you he are, does command. He does tell you to repent, God, but not all people can repent apart from God doing an, an interceding work. God intercedes upon that's man. That's not what it says, though. We're adding words to these to these texts. But when you we look at that, Scripture in total, in its incompleteness, you can look at it in total all you want. We we are looking at it in total because in total, if He's commanding you to repent, and you choose not to repent, you are you are paying the penalty for that. Everyone chooses not to repent unless God does a work. Repentance is a gift from God. It is God that grants all repentance. Things, all good things are a gift from God. Yes. Okay? So I therefore, it is God who granteth repentance. Godly that. sorrow leads to repentance. So it is God it is actively doing God that work in the person. Repentance. It's it's it God says, actively, godly sorrow leads you to repentance. And it is God actively bringing that person to that understanding their brokenness and their need for. God doesn't do the repenting for you. No, he leads okay? you to he it. He leads you he, to he's it. He's the one. But he's but the one that is actively he, bringing you to that point and granting the generate you first. Yes, that's the. But that's not what it ever says. You guys believe something that it never says. But that's it does because John three says, "Unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God." So, what is being born, born again? again? Faith comes by hearing. It's repentance. Born again means repentance. That's what born again is. It's rep or not repentance. It's regeneration. Again. I'm sorry. Regeneration. You're right by faith. So. But it says that you can't even see the kingdom of God without regeneration. Right. That comes by hearing. Faith by hearing. The, the gospel is the power to save. That's what it says. Yes, God does that. But when I asked you earlier, Drew, Drew, when I asked you earlier, what is the difference between you and I if we went to a Browns game and heard somebody preaching the gospel? I'd say the, the active work of the Spirit in, in your heart as opposed to in my heart. Because the it was spirit, the Spirit then that would draw you to the truth. The Spirit then that would bring your heart from death to life. It is the Spirit that would do the regenerating work that would bring you to the point where then now you can hear that gospel. You can trust that gospel. You can we believe can the gospel. gospel. We are all able to hear the gospel. It's Well, we in, a, in a natural sense, we may the hear gospel. the words, but we can't discern we, spiritual things. We can respond to the gospel. The Bible says the natural man cannot that's discern not what spiritual that's talking things. About. That that's is what not it says. What that's about. But that is true in context. Says, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto them, neither can he know them because they are spiritually that is, discerned. That First Corinthians to do with 2 being able to respond to the gospel. It, it's a spirit. Is the gospel spiritual? Of course. The God natural man cannot receive spiritual you, things. You have That's to go to says. that text. But see, I can actually I can go to these all these texts and explain them. But the problem is, is you can't explain the text that I gave you without going to a different text. I don't have to go to a different text. Explain, well, again, these, these, these passages in their Peter. context. These, these passages. Second Peter, Second Peter. Two. Second Peter 2. I want to know how that does not, how does not, does not completely <coughs> ruin limited atonement. 
because it does ruin limited atonement fully. Um, I mean, okay. So let's consider it this way. So the false prophets and the heretics are being, or the sect is, is being compared. They're opposing God's word. Correct. Can we assume that? that they're, teaching a, they're teaching heresies. Correct. That's what it says, right? It says they're teaching heresies. So yeah, so they're so they're speaking against God's word. They are not like the prophets of old who were carried on, who were carried along by the Holy Spirit. They're not like the biblical writers as they were as they wrote down what the Lord gave them to write down. Is that correct? It says, but there were also false prophets among the people. That's talking that's talking old. Okay, Testament. okay. I, I understand. Right. But I'm saying those false prophets are not like the ones who he just described at the end of chapter one, who that who do not have the spirit of God to write down the words of God. Are, right. are, is that would you agree? That's kind of that's there's a contrast because chapter two starts with but so you so these false prophets these false teachers among you, they don't, they've departed from the word. Because no prophecy has ever been fulfilled by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the spirit. Okay. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. So now these, these false teachers among them, how do these false teachers become part of them? Did they just like bring them off the side of the road? Well, is like how 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 are these false teachers? There's a, there's a lot different. The, there's marketplaces and squares and temples, and everyone would go to these places and talk and converse. And I but mean, he's talking to a church, so the context would be that right. these and false the teachers are teaching community. within the church, right? That's not like they're talking they on be talking the to the side. church people. Yes, to the people. So yeah. So just as there will be false teachers among you, they're inside the church. There's these false teachers inside the church, right? Mm -hmm. Am I? Let's let's execute that's, that's this passage. Fine. I mean, it doesn't really matter where they're at. I guess it doesn't really matter where they're at. It's uh. Well, it, it does they, matter they will, because they will secretly Peter is talking the to church, the church. Or if they're in the temple, they have to be or, in the church. Well, no, if they're in the temple, you don't I mean, have to listen to him. I don't have to listen to Stephen Verdick. Right. So but, they're, okay. but he's he's talking to the local church. There's these false teachers among you. Or are you saying this is the global church? Is this John in, context, is in this Peter, context, he's writing this this letter to these people uh in, in this so he's church. talking about their okay, church, this, this, their local church, okay. correct? Okay. I'm just trying to let's get through this passage. So just there will be false teachers among you. They're going to be in the local church. They're going to be we there. And what are these false teachers saying? They are secretly bringing in destructive heresies. So they are denying essential truths. Okay. We can agree mm -hmm. on that, correct? Mm-hmm. 
So even denying the master who bought him. So that's the phrase in question. So the question I think we have to go back to is if these false teachers are among them in the local church, did these false teachers previously said or showed that they had faith? Because how do you get into the church unless you express faith, right? I mean, that's, that's how Acts is. They believed and they were added to the numbers. So how are these, would you, would you agree that these false teachers at one time expressed faith uh, in this context? It's hard to say. I mean, hard to say. I mean, it could. It could I could I be. would say if if they've been accepted into the church, they have had to, even a false profession, they would have to, at least act like they had faith. <clears throat> but because that's the, but what I, we I think kind of have to go by to enter into the church. More is, likely, is that not correct? He's talking about. It says just as there will be false teachers in among you. He's saying there will be okay. people who come come into your midst telling yep. you things that aren't true, speaking heresies. Okay. Even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. Okay. So, but the question is how do these false teachers come inside the church? Because I mean, if the, the church is discerning the is, is how can they deny the sovereign Lord who bought them if they're an unregenerate people? Unless they expressed faith and Peter is recognizing that these destructive people who have shown that they've had faith now deny the one they say they've had faith in, the one who have bought them. So that's yeah. assuming that yeah, they have like... been entered into the church, that the church, because the church has the keys, that they... But it would be like, okay. it, but you ahead, can Mike, disagree with that. I mean, that's just, that's, I'm not trying to be mean, but that's, that's not exegesis. So what you're that's saying, what, what you're saying, Drew, what you're saying, Drew, is that bought them means that Christ paid for them, paid, canceled their debt. That means he paid the penalty for the sin. Yes. So he bought them. So they belong to him. That means that they're going to go to heaven. Why would they go to heaven? They didn't accept the gift. Because if he can't, it, it really doesn't matter. Because belief is the garments on. Belief, belief is sin. Unbelief is sin. Correct. Mm -hmm. So if he canceled the debt for our sins on the cross, and he canceled the debt for everyone, if sin, if unbelief is a sin, he canceled that debt. Which is why they've the been bought with a price. Severe. The penalty is more severe for people who hear the message, right? Unbelief. The unbelief is is more severe for people. The more revelation is given, the the, the more penalty. The the judgment is more severe. I mean, it's pretty clear about that in uh, Matthew eleven, maybe thirty, twenty seven, thirty or something. What like, I'm saying though is, but what I'm but what I'm saying is, if 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 Christ bought them, right? What what the scripture there is saying, and what Mike was trying to bring out is that if if I say. I've been purchased by Christ. I belong to Christ. He, I've, my debt has been canceled by Christ. And then I live 
in an ungodly lifestyle, I'm denying the one who I said bought me. I'm denying my master who I said I belong to. I'm living contrary to what he said will take place in my heart because he purchased me, because he bought me, because he granted me repentance, because he changed my heart and changed my desires. And if, if, I'm, if I'm saying I've been bought with a price, I've been purchased by Christ, my debt's been canceled, and then I live contrary to that, just like these false teachers— who secretly come in. That's where I was going in Jude. It said, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago, long ago, these people were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. That's what it says in Jude. And while I agree, we can say stay in the text, but Scripture interprets Scripture. We utilize Scripture to speak in totality of what God is laying forth before us. So again, if I if I claim, Drew, that Christ bought me, and then I live in sin, and I live in an unrepentant lifestyle, I'm denying the one that I say has bought me, which ultimately makes me a liar, not him, which makes me saying that this price that was, this debt that was canceled, Answer wasn't living in accordance with God's design and plan for my life. I'm not living as one who's been regenerate, as one who's been born again, as one who's who's come to new life in Christ. That's what that's saying there. But it says he bought them. Yes. They are saying, saying they're denying the one the that they passage. are saying who bought them. They're no, denying in, the in one the other passage, it just says that they deny the Lord who bought them. Right. It in says Jude. what does it say in Jude? It says it just says. They're denying the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, they, they pervert the grace of God into sensuality, denying our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. They're not denying that he they're bought claiming them. these these false they're, teachers that get into they're denying that he bought them. No, they're not denying that he bought him by their very false teaching. The fact that they are false prophets is is blaspheming the Lord. And they're they're as it says there, yeah, because of the of them, the way of truth is blasphemed. They're blaspheming the truth because they're claiming to be of God, yet blaspheming the truth of God, claiming to be someone who is purchased and part of the church, and they're not. They're false prophets. For That's why they're called false prophets, false teachers. I just think we're, we're agreeing, but you're ignoring the part where it says who bought them. I don't think we're ignoring it. I think we're, we're interpreting it differently because you're seeing that bought them as Christ paid the debt for them, canceled the debt for them. Yeah, like a ransom. But they're going all. to hell. Yeah. Well, again, ransom. If 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 I pay the ransom, the ransom's paid. The ransom's paid. The debt is paid. The debt is canceled. Ransom for all. It says that. He paid. But it also says paid the ransom for many. So when you take many and all, yeah. many can't always. Many can't mean all and many at the same time. All can refer to many because all doesn't mm. always mean all in the context of every single individual. When we look at scriptures, but hey. It is 10, 12. If you want to go a little bit longer, we can do that. If you. Um, yeah. I mean, I would just, I would go to, to, you know, uh, John three 16. Um, that says the same thing that. Oh, well, uh -oh. I guess he doesn't want to go on. <laughs> Sorry. That's, no, he might come that's back a now. joke. I don't know if you're curious. <clears throat> no, I heard his computer do Listen. something. So it probably. Yeah. So. If he listens back, it's a joke. 
Keep going, Mike. No, I just, um, yeah, to to think about what you're saying and to deal with these passages. I know it maybe seems like we haven't been dealing with them in subtle ways. All of his points have been discussed in, in some aspect. And to, to think about these issues, hopefully this has been enlightening. We'll see if we can get back on the show. So I don't want to make this too much of an intro. Um, but I guess it'd be an outro, not an intro. It's late. And, but to, to think about, um, these issues, I mean, even when we look at, um, here, second Peter two and kind of thinking through is Peter discussing this as if this is like a definite. I think what Ricky was pointing about and what we should see is that if he has bought them and one sense drew here and, and maybe we can push him if he comes back on is denying that Christ's salvation is effective because if he's bought them and they still go to hell, that means he's not, it's not effective that all those he, he predestined, that he also called and those he called, he also justified. And so we, we haven't got to there yet. The golden chain there in Romans eight, but to, to think about some of these issues and hopefully we get on and we can push this a little bit and to, to do with this. But I, I think when we understand again, and I guess he claimed we're trying not to do exegesis and yet we walked through it without with him kind of just not counting it with X Jesus. Ricky, you have something. Yeah, he, he, he won't be back on. Um, his computer died okay. out on him. And so, uh, unfortunately, um, but he did apologize, said, hey, tell Mike, sorry. And, you know, thanks for the conversation as well. Um, so maybe there'll be a part three or, you know, yeah. we'll see how that goes. But, uh, yeah, I think it's a good conversation. We do get passionate about the things of God. And I, I think that's mm -hmm. fine. You know, I could sense he was getting passionate about, you know, where he was at and us not seeing what he meant by bought. And I, I could see that he wasn't understanding what we were saying by bought. And um, that happens. And that's why the scriptures, uh, uh, they, scriptures speak on the scriptures. God's word speaks upon mm -hmm. itself. And so you have to let the scriptures interpret it. And I think that's what I kept when I kept saying we we read we need to read the scriptures in totality. I understand staying within a context and trying to say, okay, what is being met in this context? Yeah. But if something in this context appears to disagree with something somewhere else, we have to then look to the totality of God's word and say, well, what <clears throat> excuse me, what does it teach on this topic? It's like when Martin Luther was reading the book of James and was having an issue saying, this appears to be contradicting Paul over here. Mm -hmm. This must not even be a book in the Bible. And he had issues with the book of James because of that. But when you look at it in its totality, when you look at what's being stated in its proper context, in accordance with the rest of the scripture, you say, no, that's not what James is teaching. James is not contradicting Paul. 
they're actually yeah. in unity here. But we we are reading certain words and we're trying to take them and make them apply to something that, um, again, when we look at the context and then the full context, the big picture, we can say, OK, I get it. That's not exactly what that's that's referring to. And, and I think yeah. that I think you was laying it out there, Mike, the bot. And, and we'll just we'll kind of reiterate it here. Um, that's what is happening there. I believe that's what the scripture saying. These false teachers that are claiming to be a part of the church, as you said, they're claiming to be a part of this body, claiming to at some point said that they had faith. Now they're teaching things that are contrary to the faith, which puts them outside of the faith. And they're denying the one that they claim bought them, denying the one mm -hmm. that they claim saved them. And <clears throat> as I was trying to explain with this canceling of the debt is it doesn't matter whether you receive my, my, my payment of the cancellation of the debt. I'm not giving you the payment. I cancel the debt. If I go to the bank and cancel your loan debt for a hundred thousand dollars, and it doesn't matter whether you come to me and say, I don't receive that. I do not accept your hundred thousand dollar cancellation of debt. Well, I paid, I paid the debtor. I paid the one that the debt was owed to. So you mm -hmm. don't have to receive it. It's canceled. They're not sending you any more bills. It's canceled. And when we, as I think oftentimes people give that analogy of, well, you know, if I give you a gift and you don't accept the gift, well, that's on you. I gave the gift, but that's a bad analogy. Christ cancels the debt. It's done. It's been paid yeah. for in full. Go ahead, Mike. Final thoughts. So last, I th last thoughts. I mean, so you I can think take it longer than that. I'm just saying like, yeah, I think the two things that I think we should notice in this conversation, this is I'm not going to respond to any of his arguments. So just because he can't defend himself. But I think maybe two things are clear when you think about and I was using Dr. Schreiner also in some of my argumentation as um, as part of it, as the comment that is on the screen from Dr. Schreiner, that my wife posted saying Peter apparently uses language of redemption here in the same way he describes the counterfeit salvation of the false teachers at the end of chapter two. That is, they claim to be redeemed and saved because they were part of the church, but their apostasy shows that they were not truly believers, which I think he would have agreed with in some of that. And obviously how we interpret, how we apply that bot is um, play it. But I think two things became clear in the discussion and there that we read the Bible differently. And we also use theology differently. And kind of in the first point, as you were mentioning, that not only do we read the Bible in the kind of the fancy terms, the historical, um, not it just dropped my head, um, that we read it, um, I can't even, it's so late, um, that we read the Bible in its context, in its language. Um, so you have to go from there. But we take the added step of saying that we also read the Bible theologically. And I felt like at times, um, Andrew wasn't making that step Um and, and thinking through that now he can maybe um, help clarify if we have another show if he wants to. But I think that's one thing. It's not um, that we believe not only in a historical context, 
facts and exegetical, but that it's also theological. And I think too, then in light of that is that in kind of that theology, we use our theology to help interpret the scriptures and everyone does it. So whether we agree with it, not the question is kind of what is that theology that's interpreting it? And, and so you, these are where the kind of the question lines goes. It's how we read the Bible and where, and how do these scriptures feed in our theology? And that's what makes it passionate. Cause in one sense, we're pushing against each other's theological beliefs and the foundations in which they have and, and to think about it. So those, those are kind of my concluding thoughts. I do think you just see here a difference in how we read our Bible and how then the theology we get from our Bible applies to other passages and kind of scripture interpreting scripture. Okay. Yeah. That's tricky. Well, I was just reading second Peter chapter two and I actually did write down on my, my notes of the, the scriptures that he sent to me. And I know you can't probably see it, but I just wrote down yeah. context, context as my thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but like, if you read the rest of this context, I mean, Peter's really laying it out here that these people will be destroyed. Uh, they're ignorant. They're, 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 uh -huh. there's so much. He says they have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. So again, it goes back to that. Just looking at the context that God did not cancel the debt of these accursed children. Um, they were from long ago. That's why I went to Jude to show the fact that these false teachers that come in, these false prophets that come into the church, they were destined to do that by God <laughs> even. So, yeah. um, you know, it, it all comes back to, again, uh, God is sovereign over all things. Uh, we strongly believe that here. And I think, like you said, Mike, it is this uh, understanding of we're, we're both reading Scripture, but we're, we're interpreting it differently. Um, and it ultimately, this conversation always, always comes back to the ability. We're not arguing that man believes mm -hmm. and then receives life. We're not arguing that. We're saying that man will not believe unless God does a regenerated work in their hearts, bringing them to this new birth. And from that point, then God now has given them the ability to choose him, and they therefore do, because we don't believe in a resistible grace. We believe it's irresistible that the call, and even he mentioned the golden chain of redemption, or the golden, this this chain that he says, you know, you see belief, then you see life. But when you go to Romans 8, which is, you mentioned it, there's the, the actual order of salutis, um, it lays it out there. People are not justified before they're called. And they're not foreknown before they're called and justified. It's it's this order that we see God laying out for us in the scriptures. But uh, it's been um, an hour and a half, and we will close it out. My wife said these little cubes that are bouncing are driving her nuts. So <laughs> I've been watching them back and forth all show. If I haven't had them in front of me, I don't have a second screen in this yeah. new James White style studio. And traveling James White style studio, and so, um, yeah, I, I like I'll watch him go from bottom to top. Yeah, 
Yeah, I, I, I tried something different here. We try to mix it up a little bit. And um, yeah, sorry, babe. Didn't mean to distract you <laughs> by the little cubes. Uh, we'll change that out next week. We'll do something different. But uh, we'll put something else. Like there's ghosts and there's all these different screens that we have back there. There's little hearts, which we probably could have used oh, around yeah. Valentine's Day. You know, Shut there's up. just there's a lot of screens back there that I just like, yeah, I don't want to use that. It's not really cool, but um, yeah. I just like the colors on this one. So I was like, oh, let me use the colors. You all right. So colors. Yeah, you can I'm, change colors. Yeah. Anyways, with that banner, next week we have a, another guest on Mark Ward. I'm excited about this. We're going to be talking about his birth authorized. You should join. Ooh, I'm hitting my table too much. Um, we're going to be talking about the King James Bible and it's going to be, I, I hope it's a really fun conversation. I'm really looking forward to it. I think he, his book authorized off offer some really great instructions and help in this debate. And even if you're a King James Odalis, I think you should read the book. Cause I think he has some really good things to say um, that I've never heard critiques on, but yeah, having, um, so get the word out. We're going to be talking about King James Bible with Mark Ward. I'm really excited um, for it. I'll probably express my excitement next week too. Hmm. Yeah. And if you got any questions about the King James Bible or about uh, dealing with maybe some King James only uh send them into us, g220radio at gmail.com. And we will do our best to try to, present those uh to our guest next week and he can answer them for us uh because it again it, it is a good topic um you know to to discuss uh I, I do believe there are brothers and sisters who are strongly king james bible believers mm -hmm. you know believing that that is the authorized text or the one that is uh god's word um, but i do think that when we also <clears throat> try to compare to some of the newer texts the one thing that I've I've always noticed and I've always seen and I try to bring out in conversations graciously with those who hold to the King James being the one and only inspired scripture is that there's no essential doctrines that are being uh, threatened or taken mm -hmm. out. So I use the ESV the, mo the majority of the time. And so there's nothing in there. I mean, you could say 1 John 5, 7, but it's not denying the Trinity in the rest of the Bible. So other scriptures show me the Trinity. I don't need that one verse. I don't build it upon that one verse only. And other doctrines, justification by faith, it's not taken out in my ESV Bible as opposed to the, the King James. So the essential doctrines of the faith, there's and even non-essential doctrines, there's nothing taken out. And so to say that it's an attack against God's word, what is it attacking? What doctrine is it attacking? And, and that's usually my question. But it should be an interesting conversation next week. Looking forward to it as well. Uh, I think Mike's more excited. He's he's ready to go. So hopefully Mike will lead that one then because I did not read I that will. book. So, Mike, you could take the lead on it. <clears throat> and, I have um, to refresh. It's been a year since I've read it. But, I mean, you put the comment on there. My wife said it. It is one of the most gracious books I've read on the KJV. Coming was jv onlyist so we'll obviously talk to him more about that um and the reasons why he wrote the book but i think he's not cage stage like i think sometimes we find ourselves in some of those cage when we first transition <laughs> so but yeah it should be a really good conversation i'm looking forward to it i'm gonna hope have some questions and and be able to hopefully encourage um people to go get the book and to read it because i think it will be helpful yeah 
Yeah, I'm going to try to see if it's on Audible, and that'll help me get through I think it. it is. Yeah, I'll, I'll be able to get through it then through the week because um, I can listen to it throughout the day, and that makes for a little – it makes it a little helpful for me. But that's been our show for tonight. Joe Gordon saying good night. He's probably like, come on, guys, get out of here so I can go to bed. <laughs> so uh, good night, Joe. Uh, we thank you guys all for tuning in. Uh, thank you for the comments. Uh, thank you for the interaction. We thank you even Drew for coming on. Uh, if he's still listening, um, <clears throat> unfortunate that we had the, um, his computer died on him and, uh, you know, Hey, it, it is what it is, but I, I think it was a good conversation and hopefully helpful to you. And hopefully we came across as being gracious to one another, even though we did get passionate there, um, with trying to present our, our points. And I think passion is okay. I don't think that means we displayed, you know, um, uh, any ungracious kind of uh, matter in our conversation. So uh, that's been G220 Radio. Until next time, God bless and good night.